So what I want, to, I want us to see God in a new way. When we see God in a new way, we'll see money in its right way. When we see money in its right way, we'll see maturity in a new way. When we see maturity in a new way, we'll see the whole call to stewardship in a new way. But I'm standing here. I don't want to say anything to you other than see God in a new way and see where that leads in this talk today. Are you ready? There's a few of you that are kind of nodding. Some of you are wondering, did I want to be here this morning? Well, you do want to be here because you'll see all of God's Word leads to life, and I'm trying to be as faithful as I can because let me say this. The one common denominator in this room, all of us are created in the image of God. Yes. Another common denominator is all of us are emotional beings. Yes. All of us are spiritual beings. All of us are physical beings. All of us are every other kind of being, including all of us are economic beings. We are economic beings, and what happens when we suffer, when we, when we section off or seal off our faith into these silos of different compartments, we're not mature. And I want us to see how this passage helps us to see God in a new way, see money in a new way, see maturity, economic maturity in a new way, and eventually we then see stewardship in a new way. But the danger is always to start with stewardship, which is about how should we give our money. But I'm hoping to turn it on its head today, and this is going to be life-giving. And everybody said, okay, so pray for me because I want to do this well. And let's turn to the screens. Or Yeah, we're going to read together from this passage. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. My dear brothers and sisters, I hope you're going to see in this passage that God wants more for us than from us. God wants more for us than from us. I know when any preacher gets up in a pulpit and talks about money, people are wondering, when are they going to start making the big ask? I want you to know, God does not need anything from any one of us because He's self-sufficient. He sustains the whole universe. He created it all. And He even made us. And He cares deeply about us today. I want you to hear that. This message is pastoral. 
It's about anchoring and securing us. How many of us, when you see ESCOM, get a little bit nervous when there's more load shedding? Yes. How many of you notice there's more months left at the end of our money? Have you, you ever find that like... It's not as, uh, it's hard to make ends meet financially. I want you to know God sees this, God cares about it, and He wants to equip us this morning for living in tough economic times. But He doesn't start with saying, You owe me. He starts with saying, I care about you. If you, if you don't get that, then I'm wasting my time. You've got to know. And we sang about it. The songs the band chose this morning were just all about anchoring and securing us in God's affections and his care for us. So the key verse is in 17b. It says we're to command believers who have a whole lot of stuff to put their hope in God. Now listen, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What kind of God is this? We're called to put our hope in this God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What you've got here is a God who is incredibly kind and generous, but He's also joyful. He is giving resources to us to meet our needs, but more than that, He gives it from a generous heart for our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy. He's not a killjoy. In some sections, we talk about a party pooper, someone who just makes the party, like, spoils the party. God is not out to spoil the party. He is not a killjoy. He is kind. He's not out to pleasure-proof our lives. I don't want you to be enjoying life. I'm going to make sure you're baptized in lemon juice. That's not God. So I want to introduce you to a very interesting little thing that gets into our heads, mine too, from time to time. It's a concept. Now, don't get stuck here. It's just called the concept of limited goodness. Say limited goodness. It works like this. Do you ever remember when you were a little kid and mom was baking some cookies at home, biscuits or whatever it is in the oven or, or whatever mom book, cooked you when you were, little snacks, cooking you snacks. And there's four kids now and mom has filled the grocery cupboard with jars, the size jars with cookies for the coming six months. But she pours some of those cookies into a little bowl and the kids all gather around, and they start having their tea and their cookies, biscuits. One for me, one for you, and we're having, and eventually, there is one cookie left in the bowl. This is the concept of limited goodness. This is a crisis. This is a crisis for those four kids. It's traumatic. Who is going to get the, this last thing? I mean, the universe could possibly just split into a thousand pieces if we don't find a resolution because the goodness has been limited down to just one cookie. The kids 
are totally unaware that mom is sitting with the grocery cupboard full of all these jars. There can be no shortage because mom loves the kids and has made sure that they're going to have enough. And their future is not based on what's in the cookie jar or in the plate. Their future is based on mom's capacity to multiply. And that's why John 1 verse 16 says, From his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. And what happens is some of us think about God in this way. We think the economy starts to shrink. Then like a pizza, we think there's more people trying to eat a shrinking pizza and suddenly you tie God's reputation to run the whole universe and sustain it all, the one who's loving toward all that he's made, the one who said, your father knows what you have need of. Folk, do you know how many human beings there are on the planet? About eight and a half billion? I think it's just gone up as I spoke. How many birds are there on the planet? 50 billion, latest scientific research says 50 billion. There are more birds than there are people. And Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows how to take care of the birds of there and, f- and feed them. Did you go out this morning at your garden and just see dead birds lying all over the place, you know, in bird talk saying, I'm starving, I'm starving. Did you see any of that? Have you seen that? 50 billion birds. And Jesus says, your Father knows how to look after the birds, the lilies of the field, all of that are beautiful how much more will he take care of you, you are you of little faith? Are you who have dialed into limited goodness? You start to think that I am contending for a larger slice of a shrinking pie. God does not live in that human reality. We've got to break that off our minds and understand, yes, there are tough times. Yes, it's difficult. But God, His character, His nature is not bound to the challenges, some of them we described this morning. I want to look at some of you who are maybe unemployed or underemployed. This is Rigby in standing in his pastoral call today. I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. I want to look at you and I want to say this to you. Some of you might from time to time wonder, does God really know what I'm going through? Does God see the depth of my crisis? I'm reminded of Hagar in the desert. Remember Hagar in the desert? She, Abraham and Sarah, they blow it with God, and so they think, let's help God and get a child because nothing's happening. So Abraham sleeps with Hagar. Hagar produces a son, Ishmael. Not long after the baby's born, she's under the abuse of Sarah. She leaves home with her baby and goes into the desert and just wants to die. And God comes to her. And God promises her some stuff and says these words to her, I see you. And then she names the place where she is there after that encounter, the God who sees me. And that's not enough. She needed to see God in in chapter 25. This is chapter 16, the God who sees me in chapter 25. She's out in the desert, and she's now left permanently from Abraham, Sarah, and God's promised her he's going to make a great nation out of Ishmael. 
she's saying, I want to die. I, my needs, I'm so thirsty. I'm so. God says, no, I'm still, my promise is good. I, am, I see you. But then he opens her eyes to see a well. What I love about that is the well was always there. You see, God has got multiple ways to come and care for us, but we need to know that God sees us. In our worst times, God sees us, and we, need to, and we need to have our eyes open to see Him in a new way. This is what this talks about. We need to see God in a new way. How many of you know that verse, Psalm 17, verse 8? David's praying. He says, you keep me as the apple of your eye. And you hide me in the shadow of your wings. Have you, do you like that term, apple of your eye? Do you know what it means? He says, you've kept me as the apple. That, that term, apple of your eye, is a Hebrew metaphor for the pupil. A focused gaze. You keep me under your focused gaze. You see me. You see everything about me. And, folk, that's not enough if God doesn't also hide us under the shadow of his wings, if he doesn't also nurture and care for us. Folk, how's this for a miracle? Every one of us are sitting in church here this morning, somehow, irrespective of our economic conditions, we get to be here worshiping. God cares about us, and he wants us to hear this. He wants you to know and me to know. I see you. I want you to see me in a new way. And I want you to know that this apple of my eye is a favor term. It's not just a, I've got great eyes and I can see everything, you know, laser beams. No, it's affectionate. It's designed. Jesus says, when he looks over, he sees Jerusalem. They're in rebellion against him. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's looking over the city. How often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. In other words, we've got to see God in a new way. And when we see Him in a new way, we'll trust Him, we'll love Him, we'll yield to Him in a new way. In Psalm 16, verse 8, David says, I have set the Lord always before me. And then in 1780, he says, keep me as the apple of your eye. But he had learned to set the Lord before him. I am not dialing into culture's read on what God is like. I'm seeing you as you really are. Folk, in tough times, if we lose our perspective on God, we've lost everything. We, get from, we go from thriving to surviving. God wants us to see him in a new way. Okay. Is that, is that encouraging? Should we just wrap up and go home? No such luck. Okay, I'm going to whiz through these four things God wants you to know from this verse. And let's see if you agree with this. Number one, using, a, using this biblical lens, God wants to upgrade your personal asset register. Okay, you know what an asset register is? What, all the things you own. If you own a, a TV, if you own a, a car, if you own a, a wardrobe, if you own that. Now, God says, you've you, you got some stuff, Okay. He says, I want you to know no matter what you own of stuff, you're richer than you realize. You're richer than you realize. Thank you for that amen. Who gave me the amen? Give that person all expenses paid to trip to, to plet. <laughs> okay. See, what Paul is doing is he's saying the guys, the prosperity teachers in town, 
are using the gospel to get rich. They're saying, no, God's there to just make us rich. And he's saying, no, God's there to be God. But when you see what kind of God you is, you understand he's out to make you truly rich. He's not out to increase your wardrobe or the number of properties or all of that. He's out to make you truly rich. And so Paul says to Timothy and this church in Ephesus, Timothy's going to teach the church this stuff. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Say that out loud. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, what he's saying is godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain in the Greek is mega wealth. Who wants to be wealthy or mega wealthy? So the prosperity teachers are saying money is the way you measure your wealth. And Paul comes along and says, no, if you see God as he really is and how much he loves you and what he gives to you in Jesus, you have got mega wealth. You are richer right now than you could ever imagine, than you could ever dream. If you know Jesus Christ, if your life is bound to Jesus Christ, you are incredibly wealthy. For in him, Jesus, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge Our problem is we live in a culture that bombards our minds and all the stuff we read on TV, all the adverts are telling us you don't have enough of this, that, and the other, and we get lied to, and we get fed discontent. And discontent is the product of listening to culture too much. Its voice is too loud, and God says, I want you to hear me. I want you to see me. I want you to hear me. But notice what he says, godliness with contentment. You can't be content unless you see God. And godliness there is not the moral life. Godliness is not don't smoke, don't chew, don't mix with boys who do. Godliness is the God-centered life. It's I've set the Lord always before me. It's seeing God over you, around you, in you, for you, no matter what. If you see that, all his promises are true and amen. But don't get a promise book and just write Bible verses and think that the promises are going to deliver you. No, it's the God of the promises. I'm not angry. I'm passionate. I'm passionate. I want us to get this. God loves us, people, and He wants to earth us in the soil of security. He wants our roots to go deeper into His love. It's not godliness as the one side and contentment on the other side of a coin. No, no. It's godliness, it's not even godliness and contentment. It's godliness with contentment. You don't get contentment unless you get God, unless you have God as a growing reality and revelation in your life. And what godliness with God as a person in your life, what it does, it says you're never going to be content through a process. You're content through a person. You're content through the presence of God. In Philippians 4, Paul writes, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, with your thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Why does he say that? I left out a verse. 
Don't be anxious or worried about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Which part did I leave out? Just before be anxious for nothing is the Lord is near. That's what Hagar had to see. I want you to see Hagar because she's the metaphor for us of somebody who's just destitute. There's no beginning unless God comes into her life. Folks, some of you are just, in, in, in terms of what you face, the challenge is massive. It's not extra big for God. He's loving toward all that he's made, and he loves it when we trust him. Loves it when we trust him. Okay, so the big point now is you're richer now than you could ever imagine. If you put your faith in Jesus, you have been saved. You've been born again. You have been justified. You've been given the very righteousness of Jesus, and Jesus has been given all of our sin, past, present, and future, and the righteousness of Jesus given you can never, ever be lost. You have been made righteous. Him who knew no sin became sin for us. So if he's become sin for us, where's my sin now? On Jesus, that's when I was poor. When I had nobody to put my sin on, I was in absolute poverty. But when I put my faith in Jesus, my sin is put on Jesus on the cross. He was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of Christ in him. Where's the righteousness of Christ now? Folk, we are richer than we could ever imagine. We are so, so wealthy. And if that's not enough, just to illustrate this, Jonathan Edwards, we won't read the whole quote. <laughs> he wrote a, he, he did a message. He's an 18-year-old preacher from, from America. 18 years old, he preached a message on Christian happiness. And essentially, his three points were the reason you can be happy as a Christian, no matter what your circumstances. You can be truly joyful and happy. Hear what he says. Your bad things will turn out for good. God is able to make all things work together for the good of those who love him, who have set the law before him. Secondly, all your good things can't be taken away from you. What good things? The stuff we've just described. It's the eternal treasure. Righteousness in Jesus. Heaven waiting for us. Brand new bodies in the resurrection already secured. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. We are richer than we could ever imagine. Even if you don't have a car or a job or the things that are not wrong to have, but they are not ultimate things. So number one, God wants something for us. He wants you to know right now. What does he want you to know? He wants to upgrade your personal asset register. He wants you to be able to look in the mirror and say, I am rich in Jesus. It's not like the prosperity guys. It's like gospel guys. They understand. Wow. Number two, God wants to protect us from being trapped in the wrong cycles. All that stuff from culture screaming at us, bigger, better, faster, you've got to get it, it'll make you really happy if you have it, and then it doesn't. Well, notice the tone. You know how you know God loves the church in Ephesus and He loves us this morning? Whenever a parent gives warnings to his children or her children, whenever you warn your children, remember when your kids was this so your, your little guy running across you, what a beautiful little boy. I looked at him. Now that age... If there's a heater on in the lounge, okay, 
and he's running past there. Dad normally says, oh, it doesn't matter. He'll burn. He won't do it again. Mom says, oh, watch out, watch out. Don't worry. But protect that thing of hot, hot. We say all these things to protect the child from being burned. God is dishing out warnings here in a motherly way. He's caring very, very deeply for his children. And these warnings are, 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 are based on he's got ultimate perspective. And he looks over the whole church. He looks over the whole world. He sees the currents in culture that are hurting and harming his kids. So he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Now he's saying, I want to protect you from that. Into many foolish and harmful desires. I want to protect you from that. It plunges people into ruin and destruction. I want to protect you. So many of the movies we watch are stories of people being plunged into ruin and destruction, and we get entertained by it, and we think, oh, that's, no, that's just normal life. No, it's not. God wants to protect us from normal life. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What kind of person would say all of this to us? Is he out to, to like... Uh, discourage us? Is he, is he out to give us a bad day? Ooh, no. He's out to give us a wake-up call. He's out to give us a reality check. He's out to say, I want to bring hope, but I also got to define reality. And there are currents at work that are out to destroy us in the culture we find ourselves in. So let's do a little exercise. How many of us would like to know if we're, if we're being trapped? today. I'm going to do a little exercise. You're not going to do it publicly, so don't worry. How many of you would like to do, if there's a test that says, how do I know that I'm under money's power and maybe not know it? Can you be under the power of something and not know it, by the way? You're about to find out. So here's the money test. Could we be under the power of money? You're under money's power if one of the four things are in play. Number one, you're under money's power if you're always talking about it. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I know that need and desperation can get us to have to have some conversations. Don't, don't, I'm not having a go at that. I'm just saying the disproportionate amount of time given to just talking about money, money, money. And folk, I know some of you are thinking, rich people, they're the ones who always talk about money. Folk, it's rich and poor alike that can be under money's power because rich people think money can resolve all their issues. Poor people imagine it. And God wants to protect us from both because money is not our Savior. I've set the Lord before me. God is our Savior. So number one, if we're always talking about it. Number two, if we exaggerate its power. If I just got X amount more money, if I just got an increase, if I just got this job, then I'd be truly happy. Folk, you can be happy with way, way less. All of us can be happy with less. That's not insensitive to the fact that if basic needs are not being met, we need as faith communities to do everything we can to rally and support and brother and sister each other in difficult times. We need to do that best we can. But, folks, we exaggerate its power when we say, and that's what Jesus says, you cannot serve God and mammon. What he's saying is that mammon has the power to assume a personality in our lives. It starts to 
tell us, I'm your Savior. It starts to whisper, if you've got more of me in your life, wouldn't it just be amazing? Thirdly, when it controls our choices, when it controls our choices, when every time we want to do something, we don't ask God, Father, is this a good, wise decision? We just consult our bank balance. If there's enough money, I just do what my money gives me permission to do, which means I'm submitted to money as a power, where sometimes we need to be way wiser. Sometimes we need to sit and build some margin into our lives and have some savings in the background and not feel like money in the bank equals. See, if the outflow of money begins to exceed the inflow of money, the shortfall will be our downfall. <laughs> there's, a, there's a little bit of maths in there. So we've got to live within a budget, not at a budget. Love, are you listening, Sue? In, within the budget, not at the budget, okay? And then finally, we're under money's power when it defines our identity. It tells you who you are. You get confused between what you own and who you are. So 1929, there was a, a, a Wall Street stock exchange crash in New York. And people began to discover that what they thought they were worth, their net worth on their share portfolio, their net worth had plummeted. And they got confused with their net worth and their actual worth. And stockbrokers began to jump out of the window. And people who own shares began to jump out of windows. 1929 Stock Exchange, it's history. They got confused with what they owned, what they owned was confused with who they really were. They'd lost it. They'd bought the lie. They drank the Kool-Aid on, on, on my identity is shaped by the car I drive, by the clothes I wear, and suddenly the possibility of not having that stuff shattered their lives. Recently, there was this very controversial, there's this TV program, the Stellenbosch Housewives thing. Did any of you see this thing about the KWV? I shouldn't mention the, comp the name of the company, but for those listening to the recording, my name is Andre. And... <laughs> This woman in the, in, I mean, we've done similar things ourselves probably, but she said, oh, if I didn't have money, I'd just jump off a building. And, and it gets worse. I won't go into the details. And, and people, and eventually her husband, who's at the KWV, has been replaced by somebody else on the board because it was such a bad, bad thing to do. My point is not just the optics of what public is saying. I'm thinking what kind of person on the inside feels like Money is the, she says, I'm an idolater. Idolater. My, money is my God. She says, that's, the, that's what she says on the TV program. So I'm not having a go at her. I'm just saying she represents so many of the currents in our culture. Folk, you are more precious than the birds of the air to your heavenly Father. He loves you, and it's so important that you get that. Okay, so we've done two, have we? First one. God wants to upgrade our asset register. Number two, uh, God wants to protect us from being in the wrong cycles. And I'm not going to go into all of that, but I, I want to tell you a story, a quick little story of a, a friend of mine who's a, who was at one time a major fruit farmer in, in, in the Western Cape. Known him for over three, three decades. Who, who, who has been a Christian 
And this warnings are written to Christians. And he, little by little, little by little, got you know you know the bigger boy, bigger bonds boy key in the Gospels, the guy who had to build bigger bonds all the time to accumulate. He he got into that lane, and just got richer and richer until he owned I think over twenty fruit farms between here and Namibia, export fruit, incredibly wealthy. What happens is when people get really wealthy, they get sloppy. They they start to get arrogant. They start to assume that they're better than everyone. They don't know how to close their circle because, and they start to believe, I'm so good at what I do, I just got to keep doing it more. No sense of limitation, self-imposed. And I can tell the story because this is a very dear friend of mine. And we're on the other side of what God brought him through. He was brought through all of these things. You cannot keep worldly wealth. You're going to lose it anyway, so don't make it your God. You will encounter powerful temptations. You will wander from the, uh, the faith, and you will experience great sorrow. Every one of those things my friend went through as he also started to lose connection with the faith community. He didn't just lose faith, uh, connection with the faith, the gospel. He lost, he lost connection to the community of God's people. It's so important that we do shared living, that we are brothers and sisters, that we in life groups, that we do this stuff together. And then he made one mistake. And those on his board took him to the cleaners and got him sequestrated, and he lost everything. Everything. Folk, when I met with him, I did not have a pity party with him. I listened to a man whose life had collided with losing everything, but at the same time finding his true riches again. He spoke to me about how he is so grateful to God for the way he has ripped all of that false wealth narrative out of his life and how he's been restored. And he says, for the first time, I'm seeing God in a new way. I'm seeing life in a new way. He's living out this message. And he sat with me on my veranda early this year and telling me, Rigby, I have no, you have no idea how rich my life is. And I'm just sitting chuckling on the inside because I'd seen the dangers and the pull of his life. And he would, you know, God would rather get us before we lose everything, by the way. Because if he had kept everything and had realized he didn't need bigger bonds, he just needed to earmark. I spoke to him once. I said, what about earmarking a farm or two for the advancement of the gospel? He couldn't hear it. It was a glaze over his... Now he's lost everything. He's become the sweetest, sweetest. He's an Afrikaner. Sweetest man. He loves God. He goes on these hikes in South America. And on the hikes, he just stops. And he just watches the people. And he looks for opportunities to share his faith with them. This Afrikaner, originally racist kind of a guy, smashed to the ground in humility and raised to the stars in joy and true riches. Thirdly, God wants to coach us toward joyful economic maturity. Simply, you can't silo your maturity. You can be spiritually mature because you know Bible verses. You can be relationally mature, emotionally mature because you get on well with people. Folk, there is no such thing as a as maturity working itself out in this area and not in that area, if we want to be truly mature, we say yes to holding the Lord before us, Christ before us, 
and being transformed in every area of our lives, which includes economics. And I'm standing because I'm acknowledging that I think sometimes we teach on money because of what the church needs or what the mission needs. We've got to teach on money because of what you need in terms of your, econo- your uh, economic maturity, that you'll grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. See how much He loves you, that you don't have to... You know, most people, when they don't give, it's not because they're stingy. It's because they're fearful. Limited goodness. Will there be enough? That's the question. Everybody wants to know. Will there be enough? Do I need to take care of enough? God wants to free us from being responsible for enough. Because there's two ways to have enough. The one is when we leave the meeting today, we all go outside there in the car park and we look up in the sky and we see when all the clouds arrange themselves in this magical spelling of the word enough. Have you ever seen that? Suddenly the clouds write, enough. So there's either that way, which you're going to wait a long time for, or you listen to Jesus, and he says, godliness with contentment, be content with food and clothes. Aspirations to gather things are not wrong. God, by his grace, gives you a home and a car and a greater job, and I think God wants us to be ambitious, but for him, for the forward movement of his kingdom, not simply to become the end user of his blessings. So you either wait for the magic word enough or you learn to just set the Lord before you and understand that he gives us everything we need for life and godliness in today. And so we can say each day, give us this day our daily bread. Did any of you not have any food this uh, yesterday? Now there are times we'll go through some real struggle. But have you noticed that actually we've got a track record of God's faithfulness already But the world keeps saying to us, you don't have enough. We've got to start to say, we do in Jesus. He is Jehovah-Yahweh. He is the one who gives us all that we need. And basically what Paul is challenging here is he's challenging those who are arrogant and hoping in wealth to become those who are humble and hoping in God. Humble and hoping in God in God. Isn't that amazing? Here's the point. If you're humble and hoping in God, who are you going to become more like? God. So maturity, when you're humble and hoping in God, God's before you, you're going to be transformed as you behold Him. You're going to become more and more like Him. Galatians, uh, not Galatians, First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, with an open face we behold the beauty of the Lord and are being transformed into His likeness. What, is, what, what you behold, what you behold the most will determine what the person you become. And he's saying, you guys who, who are arrogant about wealth, you're beholding the wealth, and you, 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 you're becoming like mammon, your nature. He says, no, I want to free you from that. I want to make you behold the richest person in the universe, get his nature in you, and you will be both humble and generous and a means of grace. What he's calling us to is get the gospel deep inside of us, because when the gospel is inside of us, it's not how much grace flows toward us that makes us mature. It's how much grace flows through us that makes us 
mature. Can I have an amen? Some of you have gone a little quiet on me. I don't know at which point I lost you. Will the islands please return to the mainland? I hope this is encouraging you. I want you to get it. I so want you to get it. A mark of immaturity is the metaphor of a baby on the breast. A baby on the breast. How do you know a baby is immature? Demand feeding. Demand feeding. Spiritually speaking, the metaphor is what God hears from us, all our prayers are me, my. Hope's not in God. Your hope's in the next best thing to deal with my felt need. Now, our felt needs are important to God, but He wants to teach us. And in Psalm 5, uh, Psalm 131, it's only got five verses. My heart is not proud of God. My eyes are not haughty, the arrogant guy with wealth. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Listen to this language. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. What's a weaned child? A weaned child is a child who's gone from self-conscious to still being in the mother's arms, looking in the mother's face, and being mother conscious. It's the, it's the maturity where it's demand feeding from God to versus becoming a worshiper. Grace starts to flow from me to God in worship. Start to honor Him and love Him. A weaned child is satisfied with their mother's milk, but a mature child is satisfied with their mother. Looks into the mother's face. Last point. God wants us to secure the best possible returns by investing offshore. Listen carefully. We want nothing from anyone here today. I want you to see what God wants in this passage. He's coming after the Christians in this church in Ephesus and coming after us here in Weinberg and in Cape Town and wherever we can come under this passage. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. He's warned them. Now God loves us enough to command us. And he says, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in the, this way. Okay, I want you to see it, and then I'm going to stop, and you're going to read out the words I leave out. In this way, they will lay up treasure. Say it out loud. Say it louder. Who does God want to make rich here? Us. I want you to lay up treasure for yourselves. I want you to be the beneficiaries of this new economic maturity where grace flows from us. I want you to be a beneficiary of this. And he says, I want you to know that it's for your sake. Jesus said it like this in the Gospels. He said, Don't, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Huh. We need to give that verse to the prosperity preachers to preach on. 
when they're always talking about the need to upgrade whatever they got. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That tells us something. It tells us something that there's not a moment that you and I have given anything from a pure heart for the glory of God that does not credit you in some way in eternity. This is not a prosperity uh, secret on how to get rich. This is actually saying you're not going to know how rich you are. In this life, you've got Jesus. But what you've invested through mission, through the local church, through your regular giving, to the poor, through uh, uh, ECD, Secunia, whatever you're giving toward all of those things, yes, there's beneficiaries down here that are the, 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 the initial users. But Paul's making it clear. He says, in this way you lay up for yourselves a firm foundation for the coming age that you may lay hold of tr- life that is truly life. My dear, dear friends, this sounds like God is giving us some inside information on where to invest. He's giving us insider trading secrets. He's, tra- he's changing. There's a, new, there's a new investment portal. You can, you can sow into this portal and the rewards are literally out of this world. And he's making it clear, is it, you brought nothing into this world and you'll take nothing out of it. Okay, but you can send it on ahead. You can send it into future asset class with your name on it. You know, folk, none of us are purely motivated by that. We're motivated by the glory of God. I just want you to see how kind and good God is that he's found a way to, whenever we think, oh, we're really suffering and we really are digging deep to honor God with our commitments, God just puts that there to show us you've done nothing that you're not going to get rewarded for because I'm no man's debtor and I'm going to bless you in ways. Our problem is we need to have a longer-term view of how rewards and God's faithfulness plays out so I hope you can see it. Let's connect the dots. We need to see God in a new way. We've got to be finished with this concept of limited goodness from His fullness. That's where it all starts. There's no depreciating. There's no reducing amount of the good. From His fullness, we've received one blessing after another. So number one. You got it? Number one. We're never going to be short. God can never be short. In any moment in history, we can never be short. We might go through time, some belt-tightening belt exercises, but God will bring us through. Number two, God wants to protect us like a mother hen from the cycles and the traps. We've got to be aware. We're more vulnerable now than we realize in difficult times. Number three, God wants to upgrade our maturity. He wants to bring us to greater economic maturity as part of his whole call to mature in every way. More grace flowing from us than to us. And number four, he wants to up, he wants to give us this offshore investment advice. It's a longer view perspective. So what have we done? We've seen God in a new way. We've seen money in a new way. We're not allowing it to be a master. It must become a servant. We take money by the scruff of the neck and say, you will serve the purposes of God in and through my life. Number three, I'm saying yes to wanting to grow up and not do, wee, wee, wee. 
Christianity for the rest of my life. I know I'm not getting invited back, so I'm just being very silly now. And number four, God just so kindly, when Paul writes to the Ephesians, uh, the, the Philippians, and he, and he thanks them for the financial support he'd received for his apostolic ministry, he, he thanks them. He says, but I'm not looking for anything from you. He says, I'm looking for that which may be credited to your account. We need to have a longer-term view of today's obedience. It doesn't just connect to a need met. It connects to that day when we stand before the Lord and give an account for everything we've earned. And in worship today, in worship today, I felt the Lord challenge me around some of my giving and just thinking there's a few little things. And I Note to self, I must talk to Sue about this and this. I'm just saying, I'm not doing it because I'm under guilt, motivation. I want to do it because I want to express the nature of Jesus. I want to be more Christ-like. Okay, Sue's saying, I've had enough time and I must finish, and, uh, and I must respond to that. You're under discipline. <laughs> no, you're not. Lord, I want to thank you for the word of the Lord. I want to thank you that you come to us as such a good, good Father. We sang it today, Lord. But it's more than a song. It's the ultimate reality. And we know that in the ages to come, we're going to see the unrestrained, undiluted blessings of, of who you are and what you're giving to us in Christ. That, Lord, we're living on the, on the, on the starter, on the menu of your grace. We haven't got to the fullness of what you still want to give us and care for us. I pray that you would help us to see you in a new way and realize that we're under your pupil, we're under your godly caring gaze that none of us can say my way is hidden from the Lord. And then I want to ask you, Lord, to Watch over every life, every family as we trust you, as we worship you in faith. That you'd visit us with your kindness. That you'd pour out your blessings and your grace. That you would lead us. That you'd open our eyes to see the doors you're opening. And keep transforming us in the power of the Spirit to become more and more like Jesus. All this in your name, Lord. Amen. Andre, over to you.